Section three of The Morals, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Morals, Volume One by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. A Discourse Touching the Training of Children. Part One. The course which ought to be taken for the training of free-born children and the means whereby their manners may be rendered virtuous, will, with the reader's leave, be the subject of our present disquisition. In the management of which, perhaps it may be expedient to take our rise from their very procreation. I would, therefore, in the first place, advise those who desire to become the parents of famous and eminent children, that they keep not company with all women that they light on, I mean such as harlots or concubines, for such children as are blemished in their birth, either by the father's or the mother's side, are liable to be pursued, as long as they live, with the indelible infamy of their base extraction, as that which offers a ready occasion to all that desire to take hold of it, of reproaching and disgracing them therewith. So that it was a wise speech of the poet who said, Misfortune on that family is entailed, whose reputation in its founder failed. Wherefore, since to be well born gives men a good stock of confidence, the consideration hereof ought to be of no small value to such as desire to leave behind them a lawful issue. For the spirits of men who are alloyed and counterfeit in their birth are naturally enfeebled and debased, as rightly said the poet again, a bold and daring spirit is often daunted when with the guilt of parents' crimes tis haunted. So, on the contrary, a certain loftiness and natural gallantry of spirit is wont to fill the breasts of those who are born of illustrious parents, of which Diophantus, the young son of Themistocles, is a notable instance, for he is reported to have made his boast often and in many companies that whatsoever pleased him pleased also all Athens, for whatever he liked his mother liked, and whatever his mother liked Themistocles liked, and whatever Themistocles liked all the Athenians liked. Wherefore it was gallantly done of the Lacedaemonian states, when they laid a round fine on their king Archidamus for marrying a little woman, giving this reason for their so doing, that he meant to beget for them not kings, but kinglings. The advice which I am in the next place about to give is, indeed, no other than what hath been given by those who have undertaken this argument before me. You will ask me, what is that? It is this that no man keep company with his wife for issue's sake, but when he is sober, having drunk either no wine, or at least not such a quantity as to distemper him. For they usually prove wine-bibbers and drunkards, whose parents begot them when they were drunk. Wherefore Diogenes said to a stripling, somewhat crack-brained and half-witted, Surely, young man, thy father begot thee when he was drunk. Let this suffice to be spoken concerning the procreation of children." and let us pass thence to their education. And here, to speak summarily, what we are wont to say of arts and sciences may be said also concerning virtue, that there is a concurrence of three things requisite to the completing thereof in practice, which are nature, reason, and use. Now, by reason here I would understand to mean learning, and by use, exercise. Now the principles come from instruction, the practice comes from exercise, and perfection from all three combined. And accordingly, as either of the three is deficient, 
virtue must needs be defective for if nature be not improved by instruction it is blind if instruction be not assisted by nature it is maimed and if exercise fail of the assistance of both it is imperfect as to the attainment of its end and as in husbandry it is first requisite that the soil be fertile next that the husbandman be skilful and lastly that the seed he sows be good so here nature resembles the soil the instructor of youth the husbandman and the rational principles and precepts which are taught the seed and i would peremptorily affirm that all these met and jointly conspired to the completing of the souls of those universally celebrated men pythagoras socrates and plato together with all others whose eminent worth hath gotten them immortal glory and happy is that man certainly and well beloved of the gods on whom by the bounty of any of them all these are confirmed and yet if any one thinks that those in whom nature hath not thoroughly done her part may not in some measure make up her defects if they be so happy as to light upon good teaching and withal apply their own industry towards the attainment of virtue he is to know that he is very much nay altogether mistaken for as a good natural capacity may be impaired by slothfulness so dull and heavy natural parts may be improved by instruction and whereas negligent students arrive not at the capacity of understanding the most easy things those who are industrious conquer the greatest difficulties and many instances we may observe that give us a clear demonstration of the mighty force and successful efficacy of labour and industry for water continually dropping will wear hard rocks hollow yea iron and brass are worn out with constant handling nor can we if we would reduce the fellows of a cart-wheel to their former straightness when once they have been bent by force yea it is above the power of force to straighten the bended staves sometimes used by actors upon the stage so far is that which labour effects though against nature more potent than what is produced according to it yea have we not many millions of instances more which evidence the force of industry let us see in some few that follow a man's ground is of itself good yet if it be unmanured it will contract barrenness and the better it was naturally so much the more is it ruined by carelessness if it be ill-husbanded on the other side let a man's ground be more than ordinarily rough and rugged yet experience tells us that if it be well manured it will be quickly made capable of bearing excellent fruit yea what sort of tree is there which will not if neglected grow crooked and unfruitful and what but will if rightly ordered prove fruitful and bring its fruit to maturity what strength of body is there which will not lose its vigour and fall to decay by laziness nice usage and debauchery and on the contrary where is the man of never so crazy a natural constitution who cannot render himself far more robust if he will only give himself to exercises of activity and strength what horse well managed from a colt proves not easily governable by the rider and where is there one to be found which if not broken betimes proves not stiff-necked and unmanageable yea why need we wonder at anything else when we see the wildest beasts made tame and brought to hand by industry and lastly as to men themselves that thessalian answered not amiss who being asked which of his countrymen were the meekest replied 
those that have received their discharge from the wars. But what need of multiplying more words in this matter, when even the notion of the word ethos in the Greek language imports continuance, and he that should call moral virtues customary virtues would seem to speak not incongruously? I shall conclude this part of my discourse, therefore, with the addition of one only instance. Lycurgus, the Lacedaemonian lawgiver, once took two whelps of the same litter, and ordered them to be bred in a quite different manner, whereby the one became dainty and ravenous, and the other of a good scent and skilled in hunting, which done, a while after he took occasion thence in an assembly of the Lacedaemonians to discourse in this manner. Of great weight in the attainment of virtue, fellow citizens, are habits, instruction, precepts, and indeed the whole manner of life, as I will presently let you see by example. And, withal, he ordered the producing those two whelps into the midst of the hall, where also there were set down before them a plate and a live hare. Whereupon, as they had been bred, the one presently flies upon the hare, and the other as greedily runs to the plate. And while the people were musing, not perfectly apprehending what he meant by producing those whelps thus, he added, These whelps were both of one litter, but differently bred. The one, you see, has turned out a greedy cur, and the other a good hound. And this shall suffice to be spoken concerning custom and different ways of living. The next thing that falls under our consideration is the nursing of children, which, in my judgment, the mothers should do themselves, giving their own breasts to those they have borne. For this office will certainly be performed with more tenderness and carefulness by natural mothers, who will love their children intimately, as the saying is, from their tender nails. Whereas both wet and dry nurses, who are hired, love only for their pay, and are affected to their work as ordinarily those that are substituted and deputed in the place of others are. Yea, even nature seems to have assigned the suckling and nursing of the issue to those that bear them, for which cause she hath bestowed upon every living creature that brings forth young milk to nourish them withal. And, in conformity thereto, Providence hath also wisely ordered that women should have two breasts, that so, if any of them should happen to bear twins, they might have two several springs of nourishment ready for them. Though, if they had not that furniture, mothers would still be more kind and loving to their own children. And that not without reason. For constant feeding together is a great means to heighten the affection mutually betwixt any persons. Yea, even beasts, when they are separated from those that have grazed with them, do in their way show a longing for the absent. Wherefore, as I have said, mothers themselves should strive to the utmost to nurse their own children. But if they find it impossible to do it themselves, either because of bodily weakness, and such a case may fall out, or because they are apt to be quickly with child again, then are they to choose the honestest nurses they can get, and not to take whomsoever they have offered them. And the first thing to be looked after in this choice is that the nurses be bred after the Greek fashion. For, as it is needful that the members of children be shaped aright as soon as they are born, that they may not afterwards prove crooked and distorted, so it is no less expedient that their manners be well fashioned from the very beginning. For childhood is a tender thing, and easily wrought into any shape. Yea, and the very souls of children readily receive the impressions of those things that are dropped into them while they are yet but soft but when they grow older, they will, as all hard things are, be more difficult to be wrought upon. 
and as soft wax is apt to take the stamp of the seal, so are the minds of children to receive the instructions imprinted on them at that age. Whence also it seems to me good advice, which divine Plato gives to nurses, not to tell all sorts of common tales to children in infancy, lest thereby their minds should chance to be filled with foolish and corrupt notions. The like good counsel for Kilides the poet seems to give in this verse of his. If we'll have virtuous children, we should choose their tenderest age good principles to infuse. Now are we to omit taking due care in the first place that those children who are appointed to attend upon such young nurslings, and to be bred with them for playfellows, be well-mannered, and next that they speak plain, natural Greek, lest, being constantly used to converse with persons of a barbarous language and evil manners, they receive corrupt tinctures from them, for it is a true proverb that if you live with a lame man you will learn to halt. Next, when a child is arrived at such an age as to be put under the care of pedagogues, great care is to be used that we be not deceived in them, and so commit our children to slaves, or barbarians, or cheating fellows. For it is a course never enough to be laughed at which many men nowadays take in this affair. For if any of their servants be better than the rest, they dispose some of them to follow husbandry, some to navigation, some to merchandise, some to be stewards in their houses, and some, lastly, to put out their money to use for them. But if they find any slave that is a drunkard or a glutton, and unfit for any other business, to him they assign the government of their children, whereas a good pedagogue ought to be such a one in his disposition as Phoenix, tutor to Achilles, was. And now I come to speak of that which is a great matter, and of more concern than any that I have said. We are to look after such masters for our children as are blameless in their lives, not justly reprovable for their manners, and of the best experience in teaching. For the very spring and root of honesty and virtue lies in the felicity of lighting on good education, and as husbandmen are wont to set forks to prop up feeble plants, so do honest schoolmasters prop up youth by careful instructions and admonitions that they may duly bring forth the buds of good manners. But there are certain fathers nowadays who deserve that men should spit on them in contempt, who, before making any proof of those to whom they design to commit the teaching of their children, either through unacquaintance, or, as it sometimes falls out, through unskilfulness, entrust them to men of no good reputation, or it may be, such as are branded with infamy, although they are not altogether so ridiculous if they offend herein through unskilfulness. But it is a thing most extremely absurd when, as oftentimes it happens, though they know and are told beforehand, by those who understand better than themselves, both of the inability and rascality of certain schoolmasters, they nevertheless commit the charge of their children to them, sometimes overcome by their fair and flattering speeches, and sometimes prevailed on to gratify friends who entreat them. This is an error of like nature with that of the sick man who, to please his friends, forbears to send for the physician that might save his life by his skill, and employs a mountebank that quickly dispatches him out of the world, or of him who refuses a skilful shipmaster, and then, at his friend's entreaty, commits the care of his vessel to one that is therein much his inferior. In the name of Jupiter and all the gods, tell me, how can that man deserve the name of a father, who is more concerned to gratify others in their requests than to have his children well educated? 
or is not that rather fitly applicable to this case which socrates that ancient philosopher was wont to say that if he could get up to the highest place in the city he would lift up his voice and make this proclamation thence what mean you fellow citizens that you thus turn every stone to scrape wealth together and take so little care of your children to whom one day you must relinquish it all to which i would add this that such parents do like him that is solicitous about his shoe but neglects the foot that is to wear it and yet many fathers there are who so love their money and hate their children that lest it should cost them more than they are willing to spare to hire a good schoolmaster for them they rather choose such persons to instruct their children as are of no worth thereby beating down the market that they may purchase ignorance cheap it was therefore a witty and handsome jeer which aristippus bestowed on a sottish father who asked him what he would take to teach his child he answered a thousand drachms whereupon the other cried out o hercules what a price you ask for i can buy a slave at that rate do so then said the philosopher and thou shalt have two slaves instead of one thy son for one and him thou buyest for another lastly how absurd it is when thou accustomest thy children to take their food with their right hands and chidest them if they receive it with their left yet thou takest no care at all that the principles that are infused into them be right and regular and now i will tell you what ordinarily is like to befall such prodigious parents when they have had their sons ill-nursed and worse taught for when such sons are arrived at man's estate and through contempt of a sound and orderly way of living precipitate themselves into all manner of disorderly and servile pleasures then will those parents dearly repent of their own neglect of their children's education when it is too late to amend it and vex themselves even to distraction at their vicious courses for then do some of those children acquaint themselves with flatterers and parasites a sort of infamous and execrable persons the very pests that corrupt and ruin young men others maintain mistresses and harlots insolent and extravagant others waste their substance others again come to shipwreck on gaming and revelling and some venture on still more audacious crimes committing adultery and joining in the orgies of bacchus being ready to purchase one bout of debauched pleasure at the price of their lives if now they had but conversed with some philosopher they would never have enslaved themselves to such courses as these though possibly they might have learned at least to put in practice the precept of diogenes delivered by him indeed in rude language but yet containing as to the scope of it a great truth when he advised a young man to go to the public stews that he might then inform himself by experience how things of greatest value and things of no value at all were there of equal worth in brief therefore i say and what i say may justly challenge the repute of an oracle rather than of advice that the one chief thing in this matter which comprises the beginning middle and end of all is good education and regular instruction and that these two afford great help and assistance towards the attainment of virtue and felicity for all other good things are but human and of small value such as will hardly recompense the industry required to the getting of them it is indeed a desirable thing to be well descended but the glory belongs to our ancestors riches are valuable but they are the goods of fortune who frequently takes them from those that have them and carries them to those that never so much as hoped for them yea the greater they are the fairer mark are they for those to aim at 
who design to make our bags their prize, I mean evil servants and accusers. But the weightiest consideration of all is that riches may be enjoyed by the worst as well as the best of men. Glory is a thing deserving respect, but unstable. Beauty is a prize that men fight to obtain, but, when obtained, it is of little continuance. Health is a precious enjoyment, but easily impaired. Strength is a thing desirable, but apt to be the prey of diseases and old age. And, in general, let any man who values himself upon strength of body know that he makes a great mistake. For what, indeed, is any proportion of human strength if compared to that of other animals, such as elephants and bulls and lions? but learning alone of all things in our possession is immortal and divine. And two things there are that are most peculiar to human nature, reason and speech, of which two, reason is the master of speech, and speech is the servant of reason, impregnable against all assaults of fortune, not to be taken away by false accusation, nor impaired by sickness, nor enfeebled by old age. For reason alone grows youthful by age, and time which decays all other things, increaseth knowledge in us in our decaying years. Yea, war itself, which like a winter torrent, bears down all other things before it, and carries them away with it, leaves learning alone behind. Whence the answer seems to me very remarkable, which Stilpo, a philosopher of Megara, gave to Demetrius, who, when he levelled that city to the ground, and made all the citizens bondmen, asked Stilpo whether he had lost anything. Nothing, said he, for war cannot plunder virtue. To this saying, that of Socrates also is very agreeable, who, when Gorgias, as I take it, asked him what his opinion was of the king of Persia, and whether he judged him happy, returned answer, that he could not tell what to think of him, because he knew not how he was furnished with virtue and learning, as judging human felicity to consist in those endowments, and not in those which are subject to fortune, Moreover, as it is my advice to parents that they make the breeding up of their children to learning the chiefest of their care, so I here add that the learning they ought to train them up unto should be sound and wholesome, and such as is most remote from those trifles which suit the popular humour. For to please the many is to displease the wise. To this saying of mine, that of Euripides himself bears witness. I am better skilled to treat a few, my peers, than in a crowd to tickle vulgar ears, though others have the luck on't when they babble most to the wise than most to please the rebel. Besides, I find by my own observation that those persons who make it their business to speak so as to deserve the favour and approbation of the scum of the people, ordinarily live at a suitable rate, voluptuously and intemperately, and there is reason for it. For they who have no regard to what is honest, so they may make provision for other men's pleasures, will surely not be very propensed to prefer what is right and wholesome before that which gratifies their own inordinate pleasures and luxurious inclinations, and to quit that which humours them for that which restrains them. If any one ask what the next thing is wherein I would have children instructed, and to what further good qualities I would have them inured, I answer, that I think it advisable that they neither speak nor do anything rashly, for, according to the proverb, the best things are the most difficult. But extempore discourses are full of much ordinary and loose stuff, nor do such speakers well know where to begin or where to make an end. 
and besides other faults which those who speak suddenly are commonly guilty of, they are commonly liable to this great one, that they multiply words without measure, whereas premeditation will not suffer a man to enlarge his discourse beyond a due proportion. To this purpose it is reported of Pericles that, being often called upon by the people to speak, he would not, because, as he said, he was unprepared. And Demosthenes also, who imitated him in the managery of public affairs, when the Athenians urged him to give his counsel, refused it with this answer, I have not yet prepared myself. Though it may be that this story is a mere fiction, brought down to us by uncertain tradition, without any credible author. But Demosthenes, in his oration against Midias, clearly sets forth the usefulness of premeditation. For there he says, I confess, O ye Athenians, that I came hither provided to speak, and I will by no means deny that I have spent my utmost study upon the composing this oration, for it had been a pitiful omission in me, if, having suffered and still suffering such things, I should have neglected that which in this course was to be spoken by me. But here I would not be understood altogether to condemn all readiness to discourse extempore, nor yet to allow the use of it upon such occasions as do not require it, but we are to use it only as we do physic. Still, before a person arrives at complete manhood, I would not permit him to speak upon any sudden incident occasion, though, after he has attained eradicated faculty of speaking, he may allow himself a greater liberty, as opportunity is offered. For, as they who have been a long time in chains, when they are at last set at liberty, are unable to walk, on account of their former continual restraint, and are very apt to trip, so they who have been used to a fettered way of speaking a great while, if upon any occasion they be enforced to speak on a sudden, will hardly be able to express themselves without some tokens of their former confinement. But to permit those that are yet children to speak extemporally is to give them occasion for extremely idle talk. A wretched painter, they say, showing Apelles a picture, told him withal that he had taken a very little time to paint it. If thou hadst not told me so, said Apelles, I see cause enough to believe it was a hasty draught, but I wonder that in that space of time thou hast not painted many more such pictures. I advise, therefore, for I return now to the subject that I have digressed from, the shunning and avoiding, not merely of a starched, theatrical, and over-tragical form of speaking, but also of that which is too low and mean. For that which is too swelling is not fit for the managery of public affairs, and that, on the other side, which is too thin, is very inapt to work any notable impression upon the hearers. For as it is not only requisite that a man's body be healthy, but also that it be of a firm constitution, so ought a discourse to be not only sound, but nervous also. For though such as is composed cautiously may be commended, yet that is all it can arrive at, whereas that which hath some adventurous passages in it is admired also. And my opinion is the same concerning the affections of the speaker's mind, for he must be neither of a too confident nor of a too mean and dejected spirit, for the one is apt to lead to impudence, the other to servility. And much of the orator's art, as well as great circumspection, is required to direct his course skilfully betwixt the two. End of section 3